0: Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed.
1: Docs are good, but if there's any angels in heaven, they're all nurses, male and female. You know why? You guys let us, you guys make us, allow us to live. Nurses make you one of it. Most of those songs for a simple reason. As my buddy from Delaware can tell you, when you're involved in the civil rights movement, as a kid in high school, I used to go down to the black church. I go to 7.30 mass, I'm a practicing Catholic. Then I go to 10 o'clock, and then we sit and plan what we're going to do in terms of deceptive. You think I'm joking, I'm not. And uh, the only drawback- So do you plan to travel there and
2: have you talked with the mayor? I,
1: I, I can't recall that. I don't think I've talked to the mayor. I've talked to everyone else there and I'm multiple times. I've talked to both the senators, both uh, both governors. I've talked to, uh, to everyone there is to talk to. And we've made it clear that everything is available. Are you planning to travel to East Yes, probably not. I, was, I did a whole video. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, what the hell? On Zoom? Zoom. Zoom. Oh, I can Every time I think of Zoom, that song of my generation, Who's Zoom and Who?
3: But, I, 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 wait, wait,
4: wait, wait, let me answer the question.
3: I think he's going to get in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you make us so proud. You make- And frankly, and this is what really pisses me off during the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right. That is not fair. And that is what we are fighting as well when we say, "cancel so did dead.
5: And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the first of March year of our Lord, 2023. And what a good intro there. Mushmouse, best communicator. He's Puerto Rican, Jewish, Greek, black. I did a new bump there because he fell again. I figured it would work. And uh, Zoom, looking at Kamala like she's crazy in the union. The union are just so upset, so upset. They're playing so many games. But we'll get to it in a second. Going to do a short show today. I got a million things. I'm doing a bunch of projects. And uh, yesterday, I, I won't be moving my arms. <laughs> I'm so out of shape. <laughs> I, I did a bunch of freaking deck work. like three hours and uh oh my god like everything hurts it's so bad when you get old and then you don't really work you sit on your ass uh you get sore so I seem kind of tense it's not my stomach today it's everything else I didn't know holding a nail can make your hand not want to work the next day go figure but Anyway, going to do a short show, a couple hits. I was going to do a big hit on Dylan Mulvaney. Going to save that for um, later in the week because we're about to hit our 7th anniversary as a show. That will be Saturday. So I'm going to do a woke show on Saturday and a few other things. Um, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of Operation Anaconda. So on the back end of the show, I wanted to play a little excerpt from the Operation Anaconda podcast I did with interviews, Mm -hmm. not with uh, Lieutenant Reese, who doesn't talk to me anymore, but uh, I was going to get Chapman on and kind of relive that because it's hard to believe it's been 20 years. Um, And sadly, in 13 days, it'll be the second anniversary of the loss of my buddy Scott Carl. So, sometime next week, we'll do something on that. But today, we're going to need a few hits up front. Um, the CNN thing, why the union's freaking the fuck out, media section, and of course, COVID. But before we do it, I'm going to play a soundbite by the creator of Dilbert. And a lot of people aren't playing it, they're talking about it. I'm going to play the whole thing. It's two minutes and 51 seconds. So I want you to listen to it. And then Brian Cranston saying just the word mega is racist, putting them back to back to make a point.
2: So if, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group, that's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, The best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. Wherever you have to go, just get away, because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed, right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where, you know, I have a very low black population. Because unfortunately, there, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when, when he notes that the, when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm I'm uh, going to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life, and the only outcome is I I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help black Americans if you're white. Uh, the, the, it's over. Don't, don't even think it's worth trying. Totally not trying. And there we go. You didn't expect that today, did you? <laughs> but those who don't want to focus on education, you just need to get away from them. Just get as much distance as you can. That's my recommendation. Um, and I'm also really sick of seeing video after video of black Americans beating up non-black citizens. Um, you know, I realize it's anecdotal, and it you know, doesn't give me a, a full picture of what's happening, but every damn day I look on social media and there's some black person beating the shit out of some white person. I'm kind of over it. I'm over it. Right. So I, I quit. How
6: did we get to a point where we treated other human beings as slaves and, and were okay with that? When I, when I see the, the Make America Great Again, my comment is, do you, do, you, do you accept that that could possibly be construed as a racist remark?
5: You know, you can't define racist as everything and then ruin people's lives over racism. It's kind of like the COVID situation. I'll rant on that. But the left, the media, the elites, they've spent a lot of time in the last couple years labeling everything. I mean, specifically after Obama got elected the second time, because they're kind of losing their grasp on America's a big racist shithole. And so they latched on to Trump and Mega and George Floyd's murder and all that stuff. And in the scheme of it all, they just suppressed everything that was factual. And then when we pointed that out, we're even more racist. But you just can't say everything's racist. What the Dilbert guy said, would I say that in per- on a. No, I wouldn't. Black people have said it. I mean, you can gnaw and freak out, but black people have said the exact same things he said. And as a middle American white dude... It's a pretty true statement you can no longer try to help black community. Even when you try to do the right thing, you're still fucking wrong because we have people roaming the earth that spend all day saying you're just racist because you're white. They're teaching it in school. You're just racist because you're colored. doesn't matter what you do. We could pay reparations, do everything all these far lefties do. They'd come up with more stuff. What do I base that on? Barack Hussein Obama. We elected a black president twice. We're still racist shitheads. We had a president who won an election on white supremacy is the greatest threat to America. They've guilted so many people with this crazy shit come out of Cranston's mouth That. that everything is racist. Just not agreeing with them. Not wanting to trans kids is racist. And the craziest thing is what's before the Supreme Court right now. This is a fucking headline. The fate of Biden's student loan forgiveness program that would impact scores of borrowers from a wide array of colleges and socioeconomic backgrounds lies in the hands of nine relatively wealthy people who graduate from a short list of at least private schools. That is the most loaded headline I've ever seen. My reply to it was, this is journalism. Then, where in the Constitution does it say executive branch can write checks? You're the same outfit who said previous POTUS couldn't write checks on border security. But now that a D is in office, it's cool. Also, didn't you spend four years spouting off about everything was unconstitutional? Every fucking thing was unconstitutional. Everything Trump uttered was unconstitutional. But now you're saying that a president has the right to wipe away billions of dollars of debt. Trump was trying to take money from the Defense Department to finish the border and secure it. Clearly it was necessary because we've had 5 million people come in. I mean, never mind that you made Arizona stop using mill vans to block the border. But even on this, as we'll start our top six misinformation, CNN and NAACP say, if you don't pay off everybody's
0: debt, that's also racist. Uh, So Desiree, you were actually, as I understand it, you had applied for this program. You had already been approved. Obviously, Mm. that is now on hold. Talk to us about why it's so important for you to be there in D.C. this morning.
3: Hi, yes. Um, yes, I was approved. I was fortunately one of the ones that were able to get approved, so it was a great opportunity for that. But it means a lot to me to be here today, not only because um, it's important. It's a very important day in history to not only me, but also my peers. Um, being that I am an out-of-state student, I am already at a disadvantage. Um, in comparison to my peers. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and my school is in Baltimore, Maryland, so I pay a large amount of loans in regards to, um, you know, being out of state and things like that, Mm -hmm. and it already kind of puts me, like I said, at a disadvantage, so with that, I feel like a lot of HBCU students in general, um, student debt in general has prevented a lot of HBCU students to, engage in many wealth building activities in regards to investing, um, purchasing homes and different things like that, that will fill that racial wealth gap. That
5: I mean, my God, man, you gotta pick something. I mean, you think we'd have a better line on it since white supremacy is the greatest threat to America right now, Mr. Unity says. But not paying off loans, Predominantly for white hipsters, when we all know he just did it to get midterm votes, but it's not constitutional. The House writes checks, not the executive branch. So you can't spend your whole fucking four years on a Republican saying everything's not constitutional and then say it's constitutional to do what's not constitutional. I'm just saying. Then this came, and I, you know, because I was going to go straight into Woke, but then I changed the podcast. But I'm going to play this, because this... This is fucking wrong. No
7: two bodies are the same.
3: Some pads never got that message, but Always Flex Foam did. It protects against different flows for up to zero leaks, and it flexes to fit all bodies for up to zero feel. Feel it yourself with Always Flex Foam.
5: Yeah, yeah, I filmed that. What the fuck is that? Well, what the fuck is that? That's a dude. Yeah, the third one in. It's a dude. Let's just zoom into him. We just zoom that. See that that guy? Not the one to the right. The purple shirt. The guy. I don't understand why we spend so much time validating people with a fucking mental illness. And companies feel like if they don't, they're gonna get canceled. That we have a black dude who doesn't have a vagina on a tampon commercial or a maxi pad. Unless he has anal seepage, which was on quite a few drugs there for a while, which I don't I don't know what the benefit is. Like right now I'm taking a drug and sometimes it makes me feel worse, but my ass isn't leaking, so I keep taking it. they gave me a drug to try to fix my stomach or whatever the fuck this part of my body that's still fucked up post gallbladder surgery, And it made my ass seep. I don't think I'd be using that drug. Something about ass seepage sounds bad. But maybe he has ass seepage. But they make other things. Depends. Diapers for adults. Not a maxi pad. That's on mainstream TV. That was on. We were watching. uh, Middle of the day. TV, and you have a dude with a maxi pad. I mean, I zoomed in. That's not a girl, not even remotely a girl. That's a dude. But they did it. It's a trans woman. But they're the most oppressed group in America. We need to make certain rights. Will Carlisle. Tweets every day and nobody replies because he doesn't have any followers about the threat against drag. Oh, my God. it's so, fucking bad. so couldn't wait for next podcast this weekend. I watched Saturday Night Live and I was shocked. And I'm not a fan of Woody Harrelson, but this had to be going off the rails. This was not approved by NSNL.
8: from Jeremy (laughs) and start reading okay so the movie goes like this the biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartels drugs and keep taking them over and over I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? Being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long.
5: We are two years into a presidency. Over two years. Two years and one month. 25 months into a president. SNL doesn't do any spoofs of Biden. The, I've done more jokes about Biden than they have. They're still doing Trump, Fox News and dogging conservatives, because they're no longer about comedy. When I mean, you go back to the guys I listened to, Dana Carvey and, they dogged everybody. David Spade. His Hollywood minute was every motherfucker. It didn't matter if you were woke or you were broke. It didn't matter if you're right or left. Everybody got a dose of mockery. I remember watching way a long time ago where a president fell once and they did a whole skit where he's walking around falling on the house. I think it was Ford. They don't do the falling. They got a guy who's got a great Biden. Heard it on the podcast, fly on the wall. They have not touched him. They don't touch Democrats because they're all a bunch of sniveling, woke pieces of shit. I watch it each week to get one lie. It's usually the good burger dude who's funny. He's been there 45 fucking years. The longest anybody's ever been on SNL. And he's still funny and he doesn't do politics. The great black gal, and I can't remember her name. I loved her. The one from Ghostbusters. She left the show because of it. Because all it was is political theater. They're trying to be Jon Stewart, Colbert. They're not about comedy anymore. And instantly, every media conspiracies. Well, let's let's look at it for a second. Did Pfizer give money to media outlets to push the vaccine? Did the US government? Yeah, they did. They pushed a vaccine that has fucked people up. Hi there. I'm one of them. And then, right after this rolls, well, we get the Wall Street Journal and the FBI is now on top of this and the Energy Department. It's a lab link. What every person with some common sense believed a week after COVID broke. I mean, it's just rocket scientry. John Stewart got treated like shit. We're talking about the lab leak. Here he is now.
0: The
9: Department of Energy came out with a report saying that they have—they said low confidence—but that uh, the COVID-19 uh, was a result of a lab leak. Uh,
6: are you—are you trying to get me? Canceled again.
9: <laughs> I know. I've, I've gotten so many texts being like, is John gloating? Do you feel vindicated?
6: No, there is no... There, <laughs> what? I, the, first of all, I, I wasn't waiting for the Department of Energy to wait. Right. You know, like, that's one of those... You were, like, hey, you were refreshing <laughs> the Department of Energy feed. <laughs> what, what, what is the Department of Energy? With I mean, low confidence. It's, it's not about certainty or the, the larger problem with all of this. Is the inability to discuss things that are within the realm of possibility without falling into absolutes and litmus testing each other for uh, our political allegiances as it arose from that. My, my bigger problem with with that was I thought it was a pretty good bit that expressed kind of how I felt, and the two things that came out of it were I'm racist against Asian people and how dare I align myself with the alt-right? And I thought, well, that's such a peculiar, you know, and for those of you who, who don't know what we're talking about, and God, <laughs> God bless you if you don't, uh, I'd gone on Stephen Colbert's show. Uh, Stephen is a, a young up and coming uh, <laughs> <in, laughs> improv actor uh, with the program. He'll make it. And, and just really very wide hips, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but the, the point was I was doing a bit about, and it was similar to a bit I've done on religion. I used to do a bit about religion saying religion's giving comfort to a world torn apart by religion. So the idea was, uh, you know, about the vaccines and other things that science had, uh, truly helped heal a world from a pandemic, uh, probably called by science. And then I proceeded to go on a kind of a long tangent about why that, why I thought that. Um, and the backlash was swift, uh, immediate and, uh, quite loud. Uh, and -hmm. again, I didn't take that personally either. Like we live in a world where like I have my opinion, I'm not mad at the backlash either because they're doing what I was doing, which is expressing myself. The part that I don't like about it is the, the absolutes and the dismissive, like, Mm -hmm. fuck you, I'm done with you. I will never forgive you. You have crossed an unforgivable line. You've expressed an opinion that is antithetical to mine or not mine, and it may not be one that has any real ramifications of anything. I was just saying, this seems like it's a pretty good possibility.
5: Now, there is nobody who's done more for the Democratic Party than Jon Stewart. He packaged woke, what used to be woke. I kind of used to be woke. My brother Matt probably was woke. Jenny was woke. We used to be more liberal than conservative. You didn't give a fuck what other people did. You didn't care if they're gay. You didn't give a fuck about anything. Only You only had a few things you cared about, like drugs. Or not drugs, drugs, uh, guns or whatever. But we could have held strong views about abortion, right? But we didn't give a fuck. It's other people's lives. I don't care what you do in your fucking life. But like Bill Moore, woke just went crazy. They went so far past the the curvature of the earth that a guy like that is like mega and shit. It's just fucking insane. It is a common sense, normal, yeah. This fucking happened. This fucking happened. You can't say it didn't happen because it fucking happened. But here's the way back. This is how the media elite talked. And I, I tried to find a Chuck Todd, but couldn't find one. Maybe I'll look for one before I push play on this. But, God damn.
7: <coughs> in a lab in wuhan china and yet this week donald trump is still pushing the debunked bunkum despite his own intelligence community's findings that that is simply not true on thursday the intelligence community released a rare statement saying they agree with the scientific consensus that the virus was not 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 man-made but it's not like trump has a history of going against the words of his own intelligence community or anything
10: The
5: director of national
10: intelligence is also pushing U.S. intelligence to find evidence for this theory that the virus was accidentally released from a lab in Wuhan. That's his new angle to feed the wing nuts uh, to treat this virus like it was a conspiracy of some kind.
4: It should have never happened. This plague should never have happened. It could have been stopped. But people
2: chose not to stop it.
4: (laughs) What people? Tomorrow, he'll blame the Spanish flu on Antonio
11: Banderas. Trump has also reportedly been upset with his- how it may have spread from bats to humans continues to be a subject of
8: investigation. Because we don't know where the novel coronavirus came from yet, the conspiracy theories fill the void. I'm telling you, the chi are trying to weaponize this thing. Here's Conservative talk show the... host Rush Limbaugh with zero proof suggesting a Chinese bioweapon lab is to blame. A Chinese official tweeting, it might be U.S. Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan. But to find the real source of this pandemic, it's best to leave it to science. CNN has spoken to a half dozen virus hunters who right now say anyone who claims they know the exact source of the novel coronavirus is guessing. Did it come from bats? Most likely. Chinese researchers have already determined the coronavirus is 96% identical at the whole genome level to a bat coronavirus.
0: Traditionally, driven by science, not presidential politics. And the scientists aren't the only ones rankled today by Trump's effort at reputational repair. The New York Times also advances recent reporting on U.S. intelligence agencies, which we learned this week provided intel in the president's PDB as early as January about the lethal spread of COVID. Those same agencies now have been tapped With investigating one of Trump world's most favorite conspiracy theories, New York Times reports this, quote, senior Trump administration officials have pushed American spy agencies to hunt for evidence to support an unsubstantiated theory that a government lab in Wuhan, China, was the origin of the coronavirus outbreak. That's according to current and former American officials. The effort comes as President Trump escalates a campaign to blame China for the pandemic. Some intel analysts are concerned that the pressure from the administration officials will distort assessments about the virus.
5: There'll be no Mia Coppola on this. All we've gotten this week is the Hill. Republicans jump on lab lake, of course, you knew that. And then this exchange, which was pretty interesting, with uh, Nate Silver and Mehdi Hassan. Welp. The behavior of a certain category of scientists who used every trick in the book to suppress discussion of this issue as is something I'll never forget. A huge disservice to science and public health. They should be profoundly embarrassed. Well... It's not what Mehdi fucking Hassan believes. The simple reason why so many people weren't ta- were not keen to discuss the lab leak theories is because it was originally conflated by the right with Chinese bioweapon conspiracies and continue to be conflated by the right with anti-Fauci conspiracies. Blame the conspiracy theorist. It's hard to have good-faith disagreement about a major issue if the issue itself has been hijacked by bad fake folks. Incidentally, some of us did try and host good-faith debates on Lab League 3, even back in 2021. No, you didn't. Well, you know, maybe... This is why conservatives had a problem with Anthony Fauci.
8: Well, I can get back to that a moment if we have time but let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality, and that you do experiments to enhance that. Hence the word EPPP, Enhanced Pathogens of Potential So when EcoHealth pandemic,
12: Alliance took the no, virus, well, SHC014, and, I, I
8: and combined it with
12: WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research?
8: According to the framework... And guidelines. So what are you're doing is
12: defining a away gain of function. No. You're simply saying it doesn’t exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass basically. That's what you've done, you've changed the website to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not gonna get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But the thing uh, is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker, they gained in lethality. It's a new virus. That's not
8: gain of function. According to the definition that is currently (laughs) operable, you know, Senator, let's make it clear for the people who are listening. The current definition was done over a two to three year period by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment. And then, on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, seen I, I definition any appeared definition.
12: on the same day the NIH said, that yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't.
5: The man's lying. And the, and the problem with it all is uh, the l- intelligent community, they're, they're still lying. They're not going to cover. They're not going to touch it. And they're the ones that said, hey, you're garbage. You're wrong. They're the ones that said that the laptop, I mean, everything they've said is complete lies because they're partisan hacks. And I think the point that bothers me the most about COVID. I'm a nobody. I don't give a fuck if I was right or wrong. It's not like I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm right. They ruin people's lives. They ruin businesses. They ruins kids' development. Put them back two years. They ruin kids' mental health. And it wasn't for the science. It was win election. They knew they could weaponize COVID against Trump. I mean, <laughs> Pfizer themselves held the vaccine. They didn't work. Until after the election, because they didn't want to help Trump, even though Trump rushed it through. And now it's apparent he rushed it through and it wasn't a good vaccine. They wanted to win an election. So they would do anything they could do to dog the cons. So they used this. The mask they knew was false. They knew it. They knew the vaccine wasn't working, but they said you get jabs. And they knew from day one that Fauci had financed this. And they didn't want to get wrapped up in it. Plus, they did investigations. Let's think about that. They've investigated everything during the Trump administration except for COVID. The the handling of COVID. They haven't investigated the lab leak. They haven't haven't investigated anything. They just don't care. Because if they brought that back up, just like January 6th, and why they steered it all to Trump and Trump only, is if you actually get in there and start digging, they're going to get revealed for what they did. They fucking lied. They did it all to win an election. And that's just some fucking sawed off bullshit. You ruined people's lives to win an election. How shitty are you as a human being to do that? I mean, what does this say about them? And as I tweeted online to nobody reading it, What will they do in 2024? They did all of this to win an election. All the things we found they lied about. Everything. What will the media and the Dems do to win in 2024? Because it's already building. I I had a soundbite of fucking the media now. Three of them. I'm not even going to play them. Because they're just playing it off. Well, there's a report now. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we were wrong. They're not going to say that. Because they're already on their next set. New York Times, Culture War, Mad Lib. NPR happily relays student comparing DeSantis to Castro. And then what I've been saying they were going to do all the fuck along. They're serious. Because anybody who is opposing them is a threat to democracy. Ron DeSantis will destroy our democracy with deadly precision. I cannot emphasize enough how dangerous he is. How dangerous he is. This woman is Ruth Ben Chate. Her books are modern uh, fascist modernities, strongmen, Mussolini to our president Italian fascism, authoritarians, propaganda, Ruth Begum, professor, NYU consultant, colonist at MSDNC, book Strongman, Substack on Democracy's Threat. And if you go to her webpage or her Twitter, we played her. Remember this?
0: Lives under some form of illiberal rule. Disinformation about...
5: So they're they're full-fledged. Here's just the two best of Ron DeSantis makes Trump less of a Hitler and makes Hitler, Hitler.
7: Stories Harrison hopes young readers can find comfort in. Do you see your books making an impact on the next generation?
10: I think I can think of my work in abstract terms and knowing that this is important, that it's going to reach people um, because I know how books affected me. But when it, I get to go out to schools and chat with young people, it feels really special for me when they pick up a book. It, when they pick up one of my books, they've never seen it before, and they say, that one's me or
7: that one looks like me. That makes a huge difference because I remember that feeling. An important footnote to the story, Solway has been banned in some Florida schools and might be banned statewide under the Stop Woke Act. But a story about a cartoon creator becoming the voice of the great white male freakout doesn't end at Dilbert or even at Elon Musk. It ends, or rather begins, with white grievance politics potentially becoming U.S. federal policy. If Florida governor Ron DeSantis becomes president of the United States, which he is clearly aiming for, America will become the land of total government control over women's bodies, black history, gender identity, how you can teach, learn, read, think, even talk. It would essentially be a more functionally authoritarian version of Trump, a more action, less personality type of president who's basically offering two options, pre-civil rights America or total control of society. But, of course, his robust PR team has you thinking quite the opposite, which is why his new book titled, and I'm not making this up, The Courage to be Free. <laughs> the Courage to be Free. As a first-hand account from the blue-collar boy with a dream to take down Disney and librarians, it got scorched by the New York Times.
5: But let's be honest. It's just not him. Here are one, two, three sound bites, Because it's a slow news week. GOP equals death to democracy, disinformation, panda bears being butt-fucked by polar bears and then shot in the face by gun owners.
0: It is only February, and already state lawmakers across this country have introduced over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills. They range from bathroom bans to Tennessee leading the way on a bill to ban drag shows on public property. Well, our nightcap is still here. George, you know I'm turning to you first. Your book, (laughs) Our Boys Aren't Blue, has been under attack for years. Yes. What do you think about this onslaught of bills? I mean, drag shows, who even cares that much?
8: Yeah.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have to get to the reality of the situation. A census came out, uh, I believe it was the 2019 or 2020 census, and it basically said that Generation Z uh, was about to be more non-white than white, and was already identifying as 20% LGBTQ. And so when we look at what is happening, the book bans, we look at Roe v. Wade, when we look at Don't Say Gay bills, they are all tied together. This one census that is showing that the demographic in this country is changing so rapidly is the reason that all of these anti-LGBTQ bills are coming out. It is the reason why they are trying to force white women in particular to have more children.
8: As I said, the, the new book is Cast, The Origin of Our
4: Discontents, Uh, It came out two years ago, but it's now out in paperback. The New York Times review called it the keynote nonfiction book of the American century thus far. Um, For those who don't know, explain the concept of caste and how you perceive that within our
13: own cultural context.
7: Well, first of all, caste is essentially an arbitrary, artificial, graded ranking of human value in a society. Any society, and we often think of that word applied to India, you know, the, the, the most recognizable caste system in the world. And yet it turned out that our founding fathers actually replicated or created a parallel kind of hierarchy. But what they did was you could use any number of metrics to create a, high, a caste system. You could use uh, religion. You could use ethnicity. You could use immigrant status, language, all of that. But in our country, what the colonists chose to use was this the metric of what people look like, meaning race. So race was the tool that was used to divide and to rank people to determine who would be safe, slave or free, who could own property or who could be property. And we still live with the after effects of that.
4: Connie, let me ask you also, we, I want to follow up on a conversation we had last hour. You know, you and I were talking, we sort of stumbled halfway through uh, the, the term uh, 21, 22, going into the 22 elections about, you know, we always say, well, what should Republicans say? What should Democrats say? And at the end of the day, there was so much craziness coming from the Republican Party. We sort of settled on uh, weirdos, freaks, and insurrectionists. That really was a great summation, seriously, yeah. of their policies, of, of, of their, their uh, temperament of Mm -hmm. of the way they carried themselves they were freaks weirdos and insurrectionists and it turned off swing voters independent voters suburban voters educated voters and they lost again for like the sixth year in a row now we were just talking uh with a michigan senator last hour talking about how two of the most important states for republicans michigan and arizona two states that they lost in a big way that they really needed to win in 2022. They now have people running their parties that are even bigger insurrectionists, bigger weirdos, bigger freaks. One woman who, who is now running the Michigan GOP, a, a party that just got wiped out last time. She lost her race in 2022 by 14 points and still hasn't conceded and she still is an election denier on Donald Trump's 2020 (laughs) race. Again, I just wonder, I just wonder, are these people spies? Are they double agents sent by the ghost of Ted Kennedy to undermine the Republican (laughs) Party? Look, the problem, it, 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 Joe, you and I have talked about this a lot, and we, we both said, yo, well, you know what'll happen is they'll keep losing, and that'll be the wake-up call. And, and obviously, they, they've been right. putting on the snooze button. It has not been the wake-up call. Look, the problem you got is
5: that the freaks and the insurrectionists and the, and the nutjobs, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, they're the ones raising the money. I mean, Colbert, ask Arthur who likened U.S. to Nazis to give GOP history advice. GOP wants a heteronormative paradigm to keep white men in power. I don't even know what that fucking means. Donnie Deutsch, nut job, Donnie Deutsch, claims spending obsession makes them party of competence. Well, I thought Republicans spent the debt. I mean, I'm getting lost in your fucking crazy ass talking points. I don't know which way is up anymore. And then we had Mr. Mr. fucking disinformation, because now it's a cottage industry. Let's be honest, it's fucking everywhere. I, you can't even get away from it. Brian Seltzer... February 2023, Brian Seltzer defends 2020 media coverage, Hunter Biden laptop story. We never labeled it disinformation, Seltzer, in October 2020 after the Hunter laptop story broke. We do not know what this is. A classic example of right-wing media machine. And I took one for the team, and I listened to Steve Krakauer, who I used to respect, But then I found out he's buddy with Brian. The subtle digs Brian did because the guy handed over his podcast and Brian asked the questions. Seltzer is so biased. He really is truly delusional. He believes he's not biased.
8: You and I disagree fundamentally about about that post-election period, right? January six, how meaningful it was. You've been quite critical of how the press has covered January six in the aftermath. Um, so I, uh, yes. I'm curious. I'm curious what you think of Tucker Carlson getting a hold of the uh, surveillance tapes.
14: I think it's great. I, I I I wish I wish everyone got a hold of them. I, I mean, I I. I but that's not what they're doing. True. Uh, I, I I don't I don't necessarily I think that, that this is how a lot of this works. Uh, I think if it was, you know, <laughs> there, there's a reason that, that that CNN had lots of exclusives of certain January 6th footage, and and other news outlets had exclusives about January 6th activity from the January 6th committee that they were getting fed. And so this is how it works. It's not it's not ideal, but I I favor more transparency across the board. Uh, I think that there are still absolutely questions about January 6th that are not being addressed. I, I I wish that they were in the January 6th committee. But yeah, I I I definitely think, and I actually I one of there's a few topics that I wish I wrote more about in the book. January 6th is definitely one of them. I I, I think it was uh, January 6th, I always give the caveat. Very bad, very, very bad day, bad riot. Uh the, the way that it was then turned into something that could be made not just about Trump, but about, in my opinion, about half the country and and to the overreach that came from it. Um, I, I think has been has been really detrimental to the press. I I never really understood it um other than the fact that trump was gone and so it became like the stand-in for trump um but Mm. i i i do i do wonder about that and i and i actually i i hope that well it's because it's
8: never happened before in our lives and hopefully it'll never happen again it was a violent riot at our seat of power and it should never happen that's why it was taken seriously
14: it it should be taken seriously And, and you know hundreds of people have been prosecuted and and i i support all of that and and i think that uh the 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 curiosity, I, I think that, or the lack of curiosity by the press, is is that they're fo- so focused on certain aspects of it and not others. I, I think that there were big mm. security concerns. I, I I'm glad that some in the press covered the fact that ultimately the final January sixth report was. To the, the complaints, as we've read in places like NBC, which has done some good reporting on it, the complaints internally that yeah. so much of that final report was focused
5: only on Trump and not on the massive
14: security. Right. And not failures. on security.
8: Right. That, that was a, a glaring absence, a glaring absence in the report. You're right.
5: The man is a fucking piece of shit. He's just a fucking piece of shit. And it's just it's hard to grasp. How people like that who lose their job for cause because the guy's a fucktard. He's everywhere. They just love him because he sings their song. He's a good prostitute. I mean... Rogan was right. He's just a fucking prostitute. Then it brings us to our J6 footage, which to this date, I've seen nothing on Tucker. I will broadcast when I get it. But the media is just a little crazy. Here we have them changing tracks. Now they demand that we give it up. They need that shit. They want that footage, which I I don't understand why, but they do. And then we have Dana Milbank saying it doesn't belong in the public domain and then MSDNC again just caught up in the hate and utter contempt they have for Tucker Carlson.
1: Dana, for the last question, I want to get really both of you, but I'm going to start with you, Dana. Uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy is under fire for sharing about 44,000 hours of surveillance camera footage from January 6th. With Fox News host Tucker Carlson, other media organizations, including NBC News, have demanded access to the tapes as well. The speaker is more than just a political leader. They also oversee the day-to-day administration of the Capitol, including security. Is there something unprecedented about what
12: McCarthy has done here, Dana? Yeah. I mean, day after day, it seems that he breaks uh, uh, precedent after precedent. This is another one of the promises he made to the holdouts to uh, to give him uh, the speakership. Uh, according to Matt Gates himself, this is one of the things that Kevin McCarthy promised to release. Uh, all of this footage. Of course, he's not released it. He's released it specifically uh, to Tucker Carlson, who can edit it and doctor it any uh, which way. Look, I understand why the other media are asking for the same thing. The truth is, this doesn't belong in the public domain for anybody. Uh, uh, Chairman Dean,
10: Um, Since you brought up Fox News, Eugene, (laughs) uh, I got to have you listen to um, what Tucker Carlson had to say on Monday about um, having access to January 6th material from Speaker Speaker McCarthy. Watch this.
4: Our
8: producers, some of our smartest producers have been there uh, looking at this stuff and trying to figure out what it means and how it contradicts or not the story that we've been told for more than two years. We think already that in some ways it does contradict that story. He
10: sounds so grave in his tone, but your view on Fox News having access to all that footage.
4: So here's the problem, Jonathan, and I'm not sure how to fix this because, you know, we're uh, the, the, the our news outlets on the center left are just as problematic. In fact, we're the fact that we're even talking about this right now is a problem. Can you imagine 10 years ago people
5: covering Rush Limbaugh like this? It's like they got to decide what do you want, man. And once again, I don't understand, and I, I say this 100% from the heart. I don't understand why you'd be against this. If J6 was worse than the war 1812, Hiroshima, 911, Pearl Harbor, and the invention of the Daily Wire. My assumption is you would want more information, not less. But that's the deal. They don't want it. This twat, and I said twat, that we used to follow on the show, or we did a couple times, Kat Abu, she got a full fucking paid spread. This is the New Yorker. This is our media. Annals of communication. Watching Tucker Carlson for work, according to Kat Abugaza, a researcher at Media Matters for America. She didn't say that on her Twitter by the way. You don't know Fox News until you're watching it for a job. This is a full page spread. All right. And and I didn't grab this picture, but let me grab this picture.
11: Um
5: Now Is there a little butthurt with me on this? Okay. There's a little butthurt. I mean, it's pretty much my podcast. I mean, I do media. I'm always doing media. I don't get a job from that, but Brian Seltzer started a blog in college and got a CNN gig. I sent my shit to Daily Wire. They told me to get fucked. They didn't even respond. But I don't understand why the fuck I can't do this. I mean, I do this for a living because I don't have a job right now and I'm getting healthy. But anyway, they they make them look like they're fucking heroes. They're saving democracy. Here's one of her videos. I don't want to be conceited, but at least mine's more interesting than this catty, snotty little twat.
9: If you don't watch Fox News, here are five totally real and definitely not made up stories you might have missed this week. Democrats don't deserve to vote. Sean Hannity was all in on Marjorie Taylor Greene's national divorce plan, and this was his favorite part.
12: Banning people who move from blue states to red states from voting for five years so they don't bring their bad politics with them. Two things here.
9: Sean Hannity just openly supported disenfranchising Americans. But also, Hannity lives in New York. If he moved to a red state, by his own logic, he wouldn't be able to vote.
8: I actually favor that idea.
9: Straight white men are the most oppressed people in society. Now, this is a normal Fox talking point, but they usually aren't as explicit as Tucker was this week.
10: A white man, which is to say an untouchable, the bottom of the caste system, that is bad. And then he added, why would straight white men continue to pay their
12: taxes?
9: So when your conservative uncle says that verbatim, just know it came from Tucker. I do have some good news. Racism is extinct. Not racism, but the word racism. And not for any reason that you'd think.
13: The word racism is almost extinct now. We can't discern true racism yeah. from wokeness.
9: I'm begging conservatives to define wokeness for me. Just once.
5: That's just a goddamn fucking lady, gaga, wannabe fucking Fruit Loop. I'm just saying. But yeah, I'm better. I think I'd do a better show. Anyway. To our lighter fare, sent to you by Matt in Oregon. Woke publisher turns the Oompa Loompas gender neutral from Freedom Tunes. I had to read that. I'm getting glasses this week.
2: I've got some brand new pronouns for you Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee -dee. I don't identify with he or she What
10: do you get when you misgender me? A visit in the night and two broken knees
8: For (laughs) challenging my time to exist Don't make me have to repeat Next time I will drink all this. Oompa Loompa do.
2: I get my validation from you That's why
15: I force you to agree I don't exist if you
10: don't look at me What was that?
5: To our This is America, the first soundbite is going to be in St. Louis as a guy casually shoots a homeless person. And more about Portland and their squatter problems. I'm looking at you, Oregon.
16: This is America. Don't catch you slipping though. Don't catch you slipping now.
8: Look what I'm whipping though. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping
7: now. Look what I'm whipping up. And This is America.
16: In- it sounds like a fucking. I said that was a gunshot. I didn't hear care. I mean, maybe a new shot, but it seems fine. Like
12: no blood. Yeah,
1: he, there it goes.
16: No, he just put a magazine in it, and he's still trying to load it.
15: Uh -oh. Oh my God! He just fucking killed him. He just
16: fucking killed him. One Southeast Portland family says they've had enough of a seemingly endless string of intruders next door.
0: They say they have empathy for the homeless, but now they say
7: their own lives are being put on the line by fires that have nearly spread to their home. Fox 12's Jeffrey Lindblom has more on their frustrations.
11: For the couple that lives just beyond the fence line of this home, they say they're at their breaking point because of what they say has been problem after problem for the last five years.
16: Fires have been happening off and on, major ones. And this last one actually came to our property and set our property on fire. Within 12 hours of that first initial fire that took multiple fire trucks, Another fire popped up, and they had to be called again. My wife was screaming, Stay in the house. and propane tanks were igniting off on the fire two feet from my face while I'm trying to put it out.
11: Jacob Adams has been pushed to his limit, forced to buy his own fire extinguishers just in case. He recalls multiple thefts off of his property, even allegedly catching one culprit, red-handed. He says after spotting him, this man even came up to apologize and offered to pay for the wood Adam says he stole. Yeah,
16: okay. Uh, I, I pay for it. You want to pay for the firewood you stole yeah. it? But, sorry. Adam
11: says the list goes on and on. Claiming drug use, fights, and the like are all too common right next door at this home with eviction notices galore.
16: I don't know how many times I've talked to police because people are, you know, screaming or someone's OD'ing or it's just countless, countless first responders calls. You know, we all have to love our neighbor no matter who they are, but at the point when they start setting your place on fire is maybe when it becomes more difficult.
11: Living just beyond this tree line, Jacob Adams says is his 80-year-old veteran neighbor, who he says has been dealing with theft after theft of his belongings.
1: They hooked up a hose to my water here and run it over there. I had to drag it up about four times. I had to drag the hose back.
11: This 83-year-old vet, like Adams, is at the end of his rope.
1: We've had all kinds of dealings there, field drugs, and I felt feel fit, uh, safer walking downtown in Saigon when I was over in Vietnam than I do here in Portland.
5: That's just fucking horrible. A he doesn't know how to use a gun, but to be able to sit there and fuck around like that. What the fuck? <laughs> and that guy, I so I was fucking safe, safer in Vietnam. So we have this headline, White National Group Posing as Anifa Calling for Violence on Twitter. Wasn't there Anifa posing as MAGA on January 6th and you won't even cover that, NBC News? And I don't know anything about this guy, but it goes back to these are the people who are screaming and yell about the Constitution. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? That guy has been in jail for 764 days without being convicted of any crime while he waits trial. Just was removed from the January 6th Pond D.C. jail overnight, and now they don't know where the fuck he is. he's not alone these are the people who are allowing career felons like the guy shooting the dude on the street to walk out a door but at worst he assaulted somebody at the most he probably just walked through the building as we'll see with tucker and he's still in jail This is from NPR. We pay for this. So this is state media, lefties. Oh, White House is ready to go. Okay. To show the left, not the right, has the litmus test. Pro-life doctors aren't allowed to go to any of the fucking things now because if you're pro-life, you're a fucking evil fucking human being. And two investigations you won't hear from first, butt leg I'm going to play. And Stacey Abrams under investigation for financial shit, which is anybody fucking surprised? I'm not fucking surprised. But this butt leg one, I'm a, I am can't wait to see how the media
13: covers this shit.
15: All right. Joining me now is the man launching that investigation house oversight committee chair, James Comer. Congressman, good to see you. Uh, listen, I want to your, you. I want to get your take on on this because uh, we reached out to Mayor Pete for a comment and we were actually referred to this tweet that says, I'm alarmed to learn that the chair of the House Oversight Committee thinks that the NTSB is part of our department. NTSB is an independent and with good is independent and with good reason. Still, of course, we will fully review and respond appropriately. Congressman, how do you respond to Mayor Pete's ridiculous tweet.
13: What he referred to as a typo in the letter that had absolutely nothing to do with what we were requesting from Mayor Pete. Uh, We want to know the response from the Secretary of Transportation. The people in this community in Ohio are concerned. No one from the federal government seemed to uh, express an interest in their well-being. No one at high levels of the government. And we want to know what communication took place. Uh, WHO MADE WHAT DECISION BASED ON BURNING THE CHEMICALS, uh, HOW DO WE KNOW WHO'S COORDINATING WITH uh, THE EPA and other, in, AND OTHER EMERGENCY AGENCIES THAT WILL ENSURE THAT GROUNDWATER IS NOT CONTAMINATED. WE JUST HAVE A LOT OF QUESTIONS AND THIS ADMINISTRATION HAS BEEN TOO BUSY uh, TO PROVIDE ANSWERS FOR THE AMERICAN PEOPLE. THE PRESIDENT IS OUT IN UKRAINE PROMISING MORE TAX DOLLARS TO, to UKRAINE. Uh, to protect their border when our border is unsecure. And the Secretary of Transportation has had personal time. He hasn't had time to go out there. So we want to know exactly who's in charge and uh, what decisions were made and when they were made.
15: You know, not only for this train derailment, but maybe we want to hear about what happened with the FAA or with the supply chain or Uh, with baby formula or with Southwest over Christmas. Do you think you're going to get a response from, you know, Mayor Pete after that flippant text or tweet, I should say?
13: Well, you know, that just shows the arrogance and yeah. the tone-deafness of this administration.
5: And then to end the show, I think it's apropos to show how long this lasted, the COVID release, in the media. This is it. A White House briefing. There was a few sound bites. And it's gone.
9: China, though, is, is pretty clearly accusing the Biden administration of smearing them and, and trying to say that this is baseless, people shouldn't believe it, and it's
3: a politically motivated attack?
12: I'm not going to get ahead of, uh, of where we are in the process, Jackie.
3: Should the evidence that the department is basing this assessment on be shared with the American people?
12: As I said, if we have something that uh, we believe uh, can, can be reported to the Congress, and to the American people that we're confident in, uh, we we will absolutely do that.
3: You said that right now there is not a consensus. Will there ever be a definitive answer from the Biden administration on the origins of COVID-19? And how much of that is dependent on cooperation from China?
0: We really do want to know. Back in October 2021, it was also the case that there was no consensus from the intelligence community, um, you know, where COVID came from. Without revealing sensitive information, has the IC gathered new information?
8: Does the president believe, though, that the reward outweighs the risk when it comes to gain-of-function research?
5: That was it. This media-Democrat complex with the administration ruined people's lives, not only with the COVID And the mandates and the lockdowns. But if you were a small business and you didn't buck the trend, you lost your platform. If you were an influencer, if you were a podcaster, people all across the country got canceled off social media, which is now necessary for everything, for having the common sense and most intellectually honest version of probably what happened. A virus leaks in a town five miles from Biolab Clinic that we finance. And remember, we then find out Ukraine has them too, and we finance those. So our media protecting the liberal elites squashed it again. As they have squashed... Every scandal under Trump, which was bullshit, both impeachments that Biden's done himself now. In fact, it's more clear on the video with Biden of his corruption in Ukraine than Trump's phone call with a highly partisan Democratic operative called Vinman, who just happened to be an officer in the army. The laptop. 80 voting laws changed. Mail-in voting without signature verification. Five districts stop fucking counting because of water leaks. And then just dump mass quantities. Suitcases in Fulton County. Stacey Abrams rigging the Georgia election. So bad that we had to go back and fix it. Facebook pumping money into it. Soros electing fucking liberal DAs cross-country that are now leading to crime and murder rates. And know, intellectual honesty, that why are people from January 6th still sitting in prisons? 767 days. 770 by now. 71, 72. You know, when I was a kid, when most of you out here, if you were born pre-internet, or you were kid pre-internet, Cool was counterculture. Cool was not going with the government. What the media said. We used to be a country of rebels. Some rebel motherfuckers. Not southern rebel fucking easy fucking social justice warrior. I'm not talking about fucking the Confederate Army. We just changed a ship name because it was named after a Confederate victory. We were rebels. We fought the power. The Clinton generation and all the people that have put us here, they were people burning their bras, draft cards, smoking weed, going into love ins, and not going to Vietnam and heading off to Canada. Now, these people are the most fascist authoritarians that we've ever had in our country. Our government's led by complete fascists who call anybody who disagree with them a fascist and the people disagreeing with them aren't conservative, lefty, or right. They praise cataboos who is just a conformist, fascist, authoritarian chick that if you say anything outside the dictums of progressive agenda, you're crushed We have social media companies run by people that used to be geeks who are now way fascist. You'll get suspended for saying transgenderism is a mental illness. The masks don't work. It was a lab leak. The vaccine actually harms people. Those are all things you lost statehood. You're gone those are the people that think that's cool now everything the government says the fbi says is cool and questioning things the birthright of every american the ability to question their government and their leaders hold them accountable and say no that is wrong that is bad now mega is racist the guy who did one of the most edgiest tv shows breaking bad ever and a show my wife makes me watch every week and i fucking can't stand it because of him it's a great show but i hate that guy he is a fucking fascist You have construed everything as racist. And a guy who does a fucking pretty edgy fucking cartoon says what black leaders Don Lemon has said that he's done. He's done. He'll never draw a cartoon again. It'll never be printed. It's gone. It was wiped off the pages within three days. For saying things that are borderline but they've already been said by black leaders. And once again, just like lab lake, cloth masks don't work, common sense. Tell me why right now in the culture the left is pushing, why would you go out of the way to help black people? Why would you bow to black people like we saw during George Floyd? Why would you do any of that? I'm just asking, not because I'm a racist. I don't give a fuck. You're black. You suck dick. You want to chop your dick out. I don't give a fuck. It's your life. You do your thing. My line's drawn on kids. I don't even care about abortion, even though I think it should be restricted. But I go, fuck it. You're going to go do it anyway. There's going to be fucking abortion mills, whether we ban it nationwide or not. I mean, I watched a whole segment on MTP this weekend that they said there's no way the GOP is going to win any seats in 2024 or the presidency because they're so far against abortion. But it was a national poll, not a local poll. They're doing these laws in states with constituency who want restrictions. So, no. The Tennessee law just passed a uh, Channel 5, 4, 2, all oh, were drumming up. Three or four people at a protest because it's just not an issue here. It's not like people go to the poll and go, oh, abortion, that's why I vote. Only far lefties do it. And they're freaking out about it, but they live in states where you'll be able to chop your baby's head off as a toddler. They fail a fourth grade spelling bee. You can go fucking euthanize them. Those states are still going to do live birth abortion. So why do you fucking care? But anyway, that that's that's what they fucking were saying this weekend. You're not going to win anything unless you are pro abortion. That's that's our country right now. These are the people. And in that argument, just like every argument, it doesn't matter if you're talking about climate about the war in Ukraine. It's racist. So why would you just do what you always do? You treat everybody the same. You don't do more for one race or less for one race. It's the army. I still live by the army ethos. Everybody's green. I don't give a fuck if you're Puerto Rican, black, gay, tranny liberal, I don't fucking care. I just treat you like I treat everybody else. Why would you go further out on a limb? Because the whole concept is you're white, you're a racist. You're white, you're the reason there was slavery. You're white, you're everything wrong, and why you can't get a good burger at Burger King. I'm not saying I would say that, what he said, but I'm saying what he said has already been said by black people. Black conservatives, black middle-of-the-road guys. Motherfucker, motherfucker. Goddamn, my brain just locked. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson has said the black community's fucked up. Thugs. Single parents. Dudes spraying spraying their seed everywhere and having unwedlocked children who stay in poor states and they don't get a, a leg up ever. That's the reason the black community is behind. I've heard that come out of black people's mouths. But that's the dichotomy. They can say it, you can't. But my point is, if COVID... Is my fault because I'm white and disproportionately black people died at a half a percentage more in Tennessee than everybody else. And gay people died at a 3% more than everybody else because it's such a small percent of the population. So four of them died. They just broke the fucking they broke the fucking metrics and you're twisting everything to be racist and you've set up a fucking paradigm of that spiderweb. Venn diagram that the Camilla Harris likes that everything is racist so you can tie in LGBT, climate, ableism, the whole thing into this fucking everything's racist because we elected a black president twice and you need to keep that cudgel to scare people to vote. Why give a fuck? I mean, I think they take... A lot of people who aren't woke is they don't care. They do care. It's not that they don't want everybody to get a fair shot. It's not that they don't think slavery was horrible. It's not that they don't think inner city crime is unfair to that kid who's trying to do well in school, but all he sees is his future is selling dime bags on the fucking corner. Because it's how people make money in his neighborhood. That's pretty fucked up. We are products of our environment. You have good parenting. You get out in life. You got to go in it. If you get a good shot to go to school and get an education where you really learn how to read, write, and arithmetic and not just learn Jimmy's new dress books, that's actually... A summer reading assignment we'll see in the podcast on Saturday. That was sent out to parents. But Jimmy's dress. And that all white people are evil. You got a fighting chance. Everybody cares about that. Anybody my age group wants the next generations to have a better life than they did. But what's the point? We've gotten to a point post-Floyd and in this admin of unity with DEI that it doesn't really matter if you put that filter on your Facebook or Twitter, I stand with Black Lives, Black History Month. It doesn't fucking matter. Because D'Angelo, Hannah Jones... Jamel Hill, everything's gonna be all white. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what I do. My actions will mean nothing. I'm still a piece of shit to you because you're fucking racist. You hate white people. It's okay. Our culture says it's okay to be racist against white people. We foster it in our schools and our colleges. In our legal system now, we foster it on every TV show, cartoon, and movie. The left has gotten so much power that once again, a dude's in a maxi pad commercial because they're so scared of the internet mob. They're so in fear of being canceled. And I think the Dilbert dude knew it when he was saying it. He was like, fuck it, I'm done. Who gives a fuck? Doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, the reality is, you're canceled either way. You're canceled if you say the biggest threat to America is the inability for inner-city skinny, skinny POC kids to catch a break in a single home in a high-crime neighborhood like St. Louis, where motherfuckers stroll out, don't even know how to load a pistol and shoot a motherfucker on a sidewalk. You're racist because you said that. That's what they say. It's racist to say that. I, as a white guy, if I was wealthy, could start a summer program with just black kids and improve their reading, writing, job skills. Buy all their clothes for the next school year. Give them all their books, pencils, pens. And have tutors come to them all year long during school and keep them there. They could fucking get out there and kick ass on those standard testing that every school has. I would still be a racist piece of shit because I'm a white guy who doesn't believe in full term abortion, that we all need to give up our gas cars and go get a fucking Tesla that doesn't allow me to leave my state. Or even better, I could just get a bicycle. I could give up my fucking house. I could give every fucking cent I own to a black, underprivileged fucking family. I would still be a racist. It doesn't fucking matter. It just doesn't matter. When it's okay in our culture to write an article, we can replace them with unskilled labor. From anywhere in the world, without background checks, COVID screenings, let them just walk across the goddamn border. But then, when you say, "Hey, kind of looks like they want to replace people," you're racist. Shown it on the show a million times. I know it's boring, but it, that's just the most hypocritical shit ever. 2016, they wanted you to do that because they didn't want any more Trumps. 2022, you're a racist. If you say great replacement theory, oops, I just said it. You're racist if you don't think it's good for schools to be brainwashing kids, and we have a horrible, exponential 20 to 30% increase in young girls who just want to be accepted. They have the hardest time doing puberty because their bodies go to that chunky phase and they have this false. Horrible representation and everything. You got to be a bony little girl to be pretty and dress like a whore. They just want acceptance, so they go from Patty to Pete. And then doctors make a bunch of money off them, a bunch of activists shove it down the family throat or take the kid away. And ruin that child for life because all of a sudden she finds herself. She gets that extra kick from 12 to 13. She goes into her body. She's normal now. But she got her breast torn off. And she's been on fucking prostate cancer medicine to kill her hormones. And she'll never reproduce again. She can't be that woman she wanted to be. I'm a racist because I said that. I'm a racist because I don't think it's cool to have little kids shoving dollar bills and dudes and dicks garter belts in a public library. I don't think that's what the public library is for. You want to do that on your own property, fine. Parents want to bring their kids and subject them to that shit. That's their, par- that's their kid. I don't give a fuck. But I'm racist because I said that. 2020 election changed 80 voting laws without legislation. Did mass mail in, no signature verification, no address verification, multiple ballots. Voted for 60 fucking days in some places. Simultaneously, the entire media in Time magazine had a cabal of people that defended or saved the 2020 election. And a guy who was in his basement who clearly went through a medical emergency, which is why he was in that basement, because Joe Biden before the basement and Joe Biden after the basement was missing hair and couldn't fucking speak. Slick corn pop. Parking lot, Biden. It doesn't take a PhD. I don't want to be a doctor in education like Jill Biden to see something fucking happen to homie. But he got 81 million votes. When the most popular president ever In my lifetime, Barack Hussein Obama, that they suppressed the Hussein, they suppressed the fucking church, they suppressed he was with Farrakhan and took pictures. The photo taken by a journalist was suppressed, not released, till way after 2012 election. In fact, it was 2017 we found out about it. Most he got was, what, 64, maybe 65, 64 million. Yeah, Trump's 2020 vote was more than Biden or Obama got. I'm a racist. The fact that blue states are allowing illegals to have driver's license and to vote in local election which you know they're going to vote in federal elections because those same municipalities believe they have the right to vote for it and those people aren't citizens and they're going to be deciding our election. I'm a racist. That I don't want to support the John Lewis Voting Act, where they're literally going to mandate 60-day voting periods, no signature verification, no address verification. Everybody has to mail in, and we'll have 2020 forever, where they just count for seven weeks until they get enough votes so that they win. I'm a racist. The simple fact that I do this podcast and I disparage the media for the way they only slay, they just only support one party, one ideology, and everything is racist, makes me a racist. So maybe the Dilbert guy wasn't stupid. I mean, if you're going to fucking be uh, canceled, demeaned, called a racist, you might as well say what you believe. At least you're being true to yourself. And when mega, just the word mega is racist. What the fuck? And with COVID. There's not a person I know who didn't think it was a lab lake who thought the mask worked. And I don't know many people I don't know anybody who got faxed who didn't get COVID. And the majority of the people I've talked to who got the Pfizer got something wrong with them afterwards. Might not be as extreme as me or people with blood clots drop dying. That thing fucked people up. Even the shot themselves, the second shot made everybody really sick, just like anthrax. It makes me never want to get a vaccine of mRNA again. I've done it twice. I took anthrax and I took COVID, and both times it fucked me up. There's something off with that technology. I'm not anti vax. I believe you should get vaccinated. I believe it's our duty to get vaccinated because it is for everybody around you. And the fact that we've eradicated major diseases is great. But this vaccine didn't eradicate COVID. It gave everybody COVID. And that it was man-made. We financed it. And that the media and the left don't want to offend China. China. With an investigation on the origins and their cover up of COVID, says everything you need to know about them. They don't care because if they did care, it would show how much they really lied, how much money they really took from Big Pharma, the devil, and all their stump speeches. They were part of a scam. They've investigated everything else. I don't believe in the point, but everything's been investigated in Trump. He was investigated for four straight fucking years. When Mueller didn't pan, they went to a phone call. When the phone didn't pan, they went to J6. When that didn't pan, they did another J6 investigation. And then they admitted they covered shit up. And now half the media wants the video and the other half doesn't think we should see the video. Because remember, they're here. We're here. We're not worthy. I mean, that Cuomo quote is, is the greatest quote ever. And I should play it every day just to remind everybody. He said what they all think. Chuck Todd, everybody on ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, MS, DNC, CNN, WAPO, New York Times, You're an idiot. It's illegal for you to read these fucking emails during the Hillary Clinton fucking scandal. But we are here to tell you about them. That's that's what they believe. And when you don't vote the way they do, and when you don't go along with the woke the way they do, it just slowly starts ratcheting from you're incorrect... To you're a racist. So I guess I'm a racist. This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Share this with your family and friends. Go to SoundCloud, Flyover Politic with a K, Rumble, 482-467, and FOPpodcast at gmail.com to tell me to go fuck myself. As stated, we're going to do our next podcast on Saturday, the 4th of March. Year of our Lord, 2023. I'm going to end the show on a short excerpt from the episode 15 and 16 of this podcast oh so long ago in 2016, just to commemorate Operation Anaconda. I don't really feel like doing a big deal, but it's been 20 years, which is Pretty fucking crazy. Probably covered a little more on Saturday. Um, And Saturday will be Dylan Mulvaney, TikTok, and the ability to change all our kids to different genders. It's pretty fucking scary, some of the statistics I found. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you don't want to hear the excerpt, this is the end of the podcast. If you do, enjoy. Enjoy. 2016, episode 15 and 16. And welcome back to Flyover Politic. It's my honor to introduce to the show Corporal Dan in California, one of the gentlemen I had the honor to serve with during OEF one. Welcome to the show.
10: Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, for having me.
5: So, um, you know, we're just going over your experiences and what you remember, uh, during the deployment to Kandahar and, uh, of course, operation Anaconda. And, you know, the floor is yours. Just go ahead and talk about anything you'd like to discuss and, uh, talk from your perspective.
10: Well, my perspective is that, uh, I was an infantryman. I joined the army in 1999, uh, obviously before September 11th or before kind of the wartime footing that our country came, came on, uh, after September, September 11th, so I joined a, a peacetime army, kind of not anticipating going to war, just trying to have an adventure as a as a teenager. Um, I joined the army, uh, became an infantryman, uh, enjoyed it very much, was sent to Fort Campbell, uh, became a member of the 101st Airborne Division, 187th Infantry Regiment. Uh, that's where I was assigned and... Uh, you know, doing peacetime training duty when September 11th occurred, and obviously the the whole world changed at that point. Yeah. Overnight, we went from uh, having a you know fun adventure to being a country at war.
5: Yeah, yeah, we sure did. In my previous episode, I talked about the you know the deployment phase and how we had a formation and we were leaving tomorrow and then you know we sat around forever and they bunkered battalions you had to show i d to get around and and uh... thought it was pretty silly when you look back on it but at the time it was pretty serious
10: Oh yeah i remember that security after september 11th was uh... was you know completely over the top everyone you know no one understood the magnitude of what happened or what was you know what attacks can continue to happen but uh... I distinctly remember that I lived on the base at Fort Campbell, and right around the corner from my house was a elementary school, and they had put a machine gun emplacement on the roof of the elementary school. Yeah. Uh,
5: yeah. I, so I thought
10: that was uh
5: The, the amazing thing, the thing is, because I transferred over, that was actually my unit in 3rd Battalion. We had the uh, schools and i remember doing that and thinking it was just a little bit too much we probably we probably overshot the objective but that's you know that was the state of mind that it was it was some serious crap and they're everywhere um do you remember much about the deployment itself and and how long it it you know for you you were on the same bird i was right we we all just didn't go out until the very end correct
10: Right. You know, I, I remember, uh, of course, immediately after September 11th, I think every unit in the entire Army thought they would be going to Afghanistan to fight. I mm-hmm. mean, the rumors were, the rumor mill was, was swirling, but for us, it seemed like the rumors were sticking and newer we being issued desert equipment, desert uniforms, and, uh, you know, getting extra training. And I remember when it really set in for me that we would definitely be going to Afghanistan is when we started getting uh, brand new weapons,
16: mm-hmm. which is something
10: that I hadn't seen in the army. All of our equipment was pretty old and beat up, and all of a sudden, just brand new—you know—body armor and weapons started showing up in desert uniforms. So I thought, hey, this is this is it. We're we're going to head over there. Yeah, and we did.
5: Yeah. Do you remember? Um about the flyover of ground zero my previous episode i played videos of you know the tv spots and what we had and it it covered you know just the initial flights and it covered the one from uh, ramstein to uh, afghanistan and of course it was just a lot of me because my wife was the one capturing it but do you remember that that incident when we flew over and and got to see it out the window
10: Oh, yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday. I mean, especially after September 11th, we all just had, you know, so much uh, emotion and feelings for being attacked like that. And then to be, you know, deploying and going off to war and being able to see the still smoking ruins of where the World Trade Center was, I think really inspired everyone that we really had a, a righteous mission that we were, you know, headed to do and helped us to you know, prepare to do our job and understand the gravity of the situation now. Raj.
5: Now, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's all fuzzy now after, what, 15 years or whatever. Um, Well, you were were in Sergeant Lanfear's squad, right?
10: Yes, I was in a second platoon, second squad. Um, I was the Bravo team leader, so I was the second team leader in Sergeant Lanphier's
5: squad. So when we... In the previous episode, we, we played a, a video at Channel 5, so you were on the Gardez crash, correct?
10: Yes, yeah that, yeah, that is correct. I was on that helicopter.
5: Yeah, if you want to talk about it, because it was featured, because they showed, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, and Landfair were interviewed by Dana Kaye and we did play it on the show. So from your perspective, if you'd like to talk about that, uh, as they termed it, it, instead of a crash, it was, what, a hard landing or whatever the Army speak was? It's still a crash. Um, Go ahead and speak on that if you would.
10: Sure. Um, Well, what what had happened is is, um, a platoon of soldiers was being sent uh, to KAUS to reinforce a safe house that uh, that was up there. And, uh, our squad had been tasked out to, uh, reinforce a, a platoon from, uh, I believe another company. And, uh, so we were, we were flying up to Coust. Uh, we left at about two o'clock in the morning. We were supposed to fly for a couple hours and then land, uh, on these rice paddies kind of on the side of the hill where the SF had secured a site. And, um. Coming into land, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but uh, there had been some contact on the ground and some exchanges of fire during the night, and they ended up moving RLZ onto the other side of uh, of where the safe house was. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how it played out, but I was in the obviously in the back of the helicopter, and we were in a Chinook, which is the twin-bladed large helicopter, and um, they called one rent out, so everybody. We all unbuckled our uh, seat belts, stood up in the back of the helicopter, locked and loaded our weapons, and got ready to, to exit the helicopter tactically. And I remember just a big, uh, a, a big bang, like an explosion going off. And I believe that was one of the rotors of the helicopter hitting the mountainside, or clipping a building, or we hit something with one of the rotors, which broke one of the rotor blades off, um, causing the helicopter to lose control and kind of in and crash onto the ground and then roll over uh the army did like they called it a hard landing they didn't (laughs) want to give the you know taliban any kind of credit for taking down a helicopter or the loss of an aircraft so uh
5: yeah i remember you know it,
10: it is what it is um nobody was was killed to my recollection in the initial crash although one of our one of the soldiers who was injured in the crash, later died in the hospital. So, I mean, it was a pretty serious injury. There
5: was a large yeah. number of people hurt. Was um, it? What was his last name? Over the years, unfortunately, as we, we talked about in the previous interview with uh, Lieutenant Dave, um, I came to the platoon late, and then it was like, you know, 60 days later, we're, we're doing anaconda. But when this happened, it was like right when we got on the ground, and we'd already been chopped up into different elements. And um, I don't remember the gentleman's name because I didn't know everybody's name at that point. Private Wieland was his name. Wieland, there it is. I knew it was a W.
10: Yeah, he was sitting immediately across from me on the helicopter. And uh, when he he suffered a a really severe, broken, multiple compound fractures on his legs. And uh, we had to get him out of the helicopter. You know, it was on fire, and he was pretty badly injured. And uh, he did end up passing away in the hospital, I believe, some uh several months later
5: yeah it was long Uh, after i think you were in iraq right yeah i believe so yeah Yeah, when it happened i remember hearing about that um do you remember anything i mean would you like to talk on the, the the perimeter duty or any of that stuff or would you just like to move on to uh operation anaconda well, uh, I, I remember
10: after the, the helicopter crash, a number of people from my squad were, most of the people in my squad were injured badly enough that they had to be evacuated stateside. Mm-hmm. So it was only myself and a couple other individuals that were able to return to duty. So we got folded back into the platoon, and then uh, we did security detail there at uh, Kandahar Airfield at the pr- along the perimeter protecting the airbase, which at that point was uh very primitive facility not like it is now obviously there's just a few tents there and some old shot up buildings some old russian junk um it was pretty long mundane duty there a lot of staring into the desert staring into the night we had some limited contact on the border a few, are on the perimeter of the base a few times uh but nothing terribly exciting mm-hmm. um Obviously, then we got word about Operation Anaconda, and that's when we really started to get prepped up for, you know, our first major combat operation.
5: Raj, in, in the previous episode, I played uh, excerpts from the flight, because I had the, the video that we all got from, which is all edited. It doesn't really show anything. It's just basically the helicopter ride, and I use the sound effects off it. And, and then in the documentary that I'm going to play on this podcast, um, it's actually preceding you right now, uh, Daniel you are in the compound actually, um, doing the, uh, EPW search for the objective. So kind of wanted to see if you, you would talk through landing through that portion of the operation. And, uh, then we can discuss the movement to Bob, Bob battle position, Betty. Oh, sure.
10: Um, so operation Anaconda, we were one of the first birds in and we were, um, to land at our LZ and secure a compound that uh, that was nearby. Um, I re- it's my recollection, I-, I don't know if you remember the same thing, that the compound was supposed to have been previously secured by U.S. forces.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of confusion if it was going to be secured or not be secured.
10: Right. So, uh, so our impression coming in was that that was a secure area coming in. So uh, I wouldn't say we were relaxed. We knew that there was going to be contact in the area, but uh, I don't think we were anticipating contact right, you know, right on the LZ as we landed.
16: Mm-hmm. But uh,
10: I, d- I definitely remember coming down and uh, coming down on the bird with platoon and, and landing there on the LZ uh, a few hundred meters across from a fairly large compound with uh, half a dozen outbuildings in it. Um, That was my first, I think probably most people's first taste of what everybody would consider, you know, real combat, where we're Mm -hmm. kind of like the move, what I imagined combat would be, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we we flew in, we landed, we started taking fire on the LZ. Um, There was, uh, I remember kind of a burst of confusion a little bit when the first round started to come in. Uh, Everyone's trying to get oriented and. Figuring out where everybody's at and where the incoming fire fire is, but after that, people started to return fire. Uh, we everybody uh, fell in line. Their training kicked in. We established a base of fire and started to maneuver our elements toward the uh, compound to take the compound from the enemy fighters and secure the objective. Right. Um,
5: were you? Were I you do sub- remember. Go ahead. Sorry.
10: I do remember. Um, it was a really cold morning. Yeah. It was really crisp, and the air was totally, you know, calm and still. And uh, you know, there was a lot of adrenaline pumping. I'm sure everybody was pretty excited, but uh, but we were. We I really felt like this was the first time we were really getting to do our duty and you know do the job I had trained for for years at that point.
5: Raj, Raj, I remember. Um, I remember when we got in there. And by the time I was with the support by fire, and so I moved forward and was the last one in, and you had already started tearing down uh, the objective and pulling stuff out, were you surprised by the amount of weaponry they had in that building?
10: Oh, I was, I was very surprised. Um, when we initially moved up to the, to the building, there was a, 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 couple, a few buildings surrounded by kind of a walled compound. And um, we had been taking fire from that area. We had suppressed those buildings and moved up. The first, uh, the first team, Sergeant Vito's team, if I recall correctly, had yeah. come up and uh, established a foothold in the compound, taken the initial doorways and objectives. And my team was the team that pushed through and, uh, you know, went and secured the area that turned out to be the living quarters for the uh, al-Qaeda fighters that had, had holed up in that building. Um, yeah, I was very surprised. There was a, a large amount of weaponry, explosives, ammunition, food, supplies, medical gear, uh, hand grenades, dynamite, plastic explosives. I mean, they were, uh, they were definitely the bad guys. They were ready for war.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And the preceding interview with the uh, Lieutenant Dan, um, or Lieutenant D- Dave, I keep calling him Lieutenant Dan like Forrest Gump. Um, uh, Daniel was the one that found my bag, which was from Beaverton, Oregon, and he's the one that found it, and then I humped it out along with my satellite radio, which turned out to be the best intel we got, correct? My radio was worth the hump that I did it, but um, I, I, that was my point that I was really blown away because you only could get that from Beaverton, Oregon. So one of these chucks that you know we took over their houses and it could have been the guys that got capped on the Ridgeline, actually had been in Oregon, and that just really surprised me. You know, it took me back.
10: Oh, oh yeah. No, I was very surprised by the amount of Western, you know, Mm -hmm. there was was American money, there were modern American night vision goggles present at the compound. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was sophisticated equipment. They had radios. They were uh, more prepared than I had anticipated. They certainly had a lot of equipment.
5: Now, um, since you searched it in my memory, and I don't know if I'm right or not, so this is a question I had written down for you. Um there was California license plates, wasn't there, or Washington? It was like a West Coast license plate. I remember find that's it was found on the objective, these IDs from America. Is that true?
10: Yeah, that is correct. We found some um some student IDs from uh some kind of uh university and we found uh like several license plates from different states yeah there was quran's there was english like um uh, books you know like how to learn english you know english and arabic translation books there was um passports there was just tons of stuff obviously we had to be pretty brief there because we left the objective pretty quickly
6: yeah um yeah we did
10: but I I definitely plod through that stuff. And to be honest with you, I got some of it hanging on my wall here. Good uh, for you. You got to my, send me
5: a picture, dude. Send me a picture. <laughs>
10: <laughs> I gotta, I, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I did, I did grab a couple of uh, momentums, a little momentos out of that uh, first Taliban compound that I held on to. There was uh, a lot of equipment and a lot of Taliban stuff there, uh, you know, propaganda-type items.
5: Yeah. Um,
10: no, and I, and one of the things I, I definitely remember was when we in the uh, the structures that were the you know the sleeping quarters, that they had a teapot that was boiling over when we went in. Still, yep.
5: I remember so, the the lamb too. Wasn't it? There was um carcass sitting there that they had been cutting off. Lamb was is that true? Was my memory serving? Me yeah, right? no, that's
10: correct. There was yeah, yeah. yeah there was a uh, there was fresh uh carcass out that was being butchered there was uh hot food on the stove there was half eaten breakfast scattered there was uh, untied boots and weapons left scattered on the floor we clearly jumped these guys at breakfast and they weren't ready for us
5: well in the previous interview we went through the movement to betty and then you know the the tactical mistake of pulling down to low ground and going to lz15 um from your perspective as a team leader Even you caught that, and were you surprised that they pulled us off the high ground to have to go back and regain the high ground?
10: Yeah, uh, I I do remember that during the the course of the operation, there seemed to be some confusion. They definitely had us pick up and move back and forth. It seemed like to the same spots, you know, kind of over and again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you that my memory is clouded by how much ammunition and weapons I was carrying Mm-hmm. Uh, i was concentrating most of the time on putting one foot in front of the other and not getting
5: shot yeah yeah no it's true uh, it's true it was it was very arduous you know and when uh lieutenant dave and i were discussing this on the podcast um we remember that' we were, we were dragging skid cows and things i had forgotten about i mean we really at that elevation even though we say we tailored the load we really didn't
2: Yeah, our loads
10: were really heavy, the oxygen was really thin, and we were climbing, I mean, we were literally climbing up mountains that I couldn't imagine. I I distinctly remember climbing with my rucksack on and my rifle hanging around my neck, going up the mountain thinking... I am so happy they PT'd the hell out of us <laughs> all these years. Yeah. I, now I know why they made us get up and run at five o'clock every morning.
5: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, ooh, it's it was crazy.
10: it was definitely a physically tough tough mission.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, I had been in. Um, I think it was fifteen and a half years. And I never thought I'd fight in the mountains. And I thought I was in decent shape. I mean, granted, I was getting older and I wasn't as good a shape as I used to be. But I, that was a suck fest. I, I do remember a suck fest. That was, that you, you just, every step was a hard breathe. But um, moving to day two, um, at grabbing excerpts, because, you know, this is something that's not in the book, Not a Good Day to Die. It's not really covered in depth in the, the documentary that um, I'll send you, Daniel, because you're in it. So I'll send you the, the, um, video so you can see it but um the day two where we were getting the the crap mortared out of us what what are memories you have of it because it was interesting talking to the lieutenant dave he had a different recollection than what i had of when one landed right next to us um so i'd be interested to hear what you remember of that day
10: oh i remember that um we had uh come we had been higher up in the mountains well, let me rewind a little bit, because I, I actually think... Uh, so, at the beginning of the day, before the the, the mortar attack happened, we had mm-hmm. kind of pulled down into a little saddle. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm not sure what we were doing. I think the company might have been regrouping or getting ready to we do were, something.
5: Yeah, we, we were linking up with the other platoons, but then we went to ground because Thompson uh, had a cold injury.
10: Okay, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. So, I, so we were conducting a, a link up there, and then in the morning... Um, I was sent with my fire team up to the top. We were kind of in a spot at the bottom of a mountain. And in the morning, my fire team got sent up to the top of the mountain to set up an LPOP.
4: Mm-hmm.
10: And so um, we hiked way up there onto the top of this little ridge, myself and, and two other soldiers. And I remember the sun was coming up and it was starting to warm up and we had brought a couple of MREs with us up there and we had just sat down and had kind of found a little spot by some rocks to nestle in and all of a sudden a big explosion, a uh, 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 mortar round, exploded about two or 300 meters away from us and kind of out behind us. And we, we, I was kind of shocked. I, I looked over, I saw it explode and we all kind of looked at each other and then uh, another mortar round, maybe, you know, we kind of got, we started to get on the radio and call it what had happened, and another mortar round then landed on the other side of us. Yeah. And so it suddenly dawned on me, well, hey, that's, this is a bad situation, I'm on top of this, this ridge here, and a mortar round has landed on either side of us, I think we've been spotted. Yeah, So. Yeah. I ran down into the saddle at that point. Everybody was starting to, you know, scramble around and realize that there was some fire coming in, and uh, I remember just sitting there like sitting ducks on the ridge as they just hurled mortar rounds at us one after another, and we tried to call in airstrikes to hit their mortars, but uh, it seemed like that went on for a long time in my mind.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually um, six hours. That was a six hour day that, you know, we weren't getting mortared the whole time, but there were times it just kept coming and they eventually, you know, eventually they got whacked through uh, airstrikes and mortars from as it's shown in the book. And of course, because Sergeant uh, Harry squad was over there with Alpha Company carrying off Beaudry and um, they were helping and the, he had helped to just fire and they finally killed him on the ridgeline. But we—I remember us staying a long time afterwards until we finally—we waited till dusk to consolidate as a company on top of that mountain, which was known as LZ 15. And as my memory serves, we went into a company perimeter at that time.
10: Yeah, that sounds—that sounds about yeah. right. Uh, the one memory that I that I have from the mortar attack that, that's kind of funny is I remember when I was a kid reading books about uh, World War II. And I remember reading in those books about how the soldiers would try to use their boots to scratch themselves a little hole and stack the rocks up around their head and try to, like, dig themselves into the ground under fire. Yeah. And I remember being a child and reading that and thinking, that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Those guys should just man up and not be trying to dig into the ground.
16: <laughs> and
10: I, I distinctly remember laying on the ground and trying to dig a hole with the heels of my boots and trying to stack rocks up around where my head was and thinking, well, this is what it's like. Yeah, yeah,
5: <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with ya. Even in, you. Know, even after that, when we went back to the battle position um, on day three, I remember when we moved into the battle position, we set up and you know we were def- we were being tactical but we hadn't really done that but when you came back day three i remember even i and the cp in the center of the perimeter you know i stacked rocks So i made like a little ranger grave out of rocks just to have something to hunker down because those motors mortars made me think uh i need to be small and behind something <laughs>
10: Yeah, they really changed my perspective yeah. on warfare. From then on, I I was always thinking, you know, where's a place I can get down, where's a place Bingo. I can get low, because we have more rounds landing all around us, and, you know, the trick is if you can stay low enough and, you know, keep down enough, you have a good chance of surviving. But it's uh, anyone that's been under a, a consistent, you know, mortar attack knows it's got to be one of the most terrifying things to go through you can hear those mortar rounds Mm -hmm. coming down and it's not a fun fun
5: sound it's not cool at all um so after after the mission and and we go back to um bagram and then we head back down to kandahar uh we eventually end up out in oregon e and do you have any uh, and for the listeners, you know, we were guarding an SF base that's not no longer there anymore, so we can say these things. Um, do you have any memories from Oregon E that were good for you?
10: Yeah, I definitely remember um, we were sent out to a, a remoter part of Afghanistan to guard a, a small uh, fire base that the special operations were using to, you know, facilitate missions with the local militia in the area. And, um I remember being being sent out there, and I, that was really one of the highlights of my tour. Um, I actually remember having a great time out there. Uh, things were pretty relaxed. We got to go out with the SS guys on missions and go to town and really get it, get a feel for the land and the area, uh, for the culture. We got to eat a lot of the food with the locals, and it was kind of like a different taste of the war. It went from being you know, involved in a really complex military operations like anaconda where you have all types of conventional units you know and going to lagoon was almost like going out to the wild west and getting involved in the special operations side of it which was really cool
5: yeah that's Um, my favorite memories are from there too because i went out with the sf guys too when it was just me and them and uh got to ride the atvs and crap like that and i remember maybe i should have gone sf you know, maybe I should have gone SF because they definitely, you know, it seemed cool. And I, I know it's it's got its more harrowing dangers than I, I know because they do some serious, you know, secret squirrel stuff with a lot. You know, they have a lot of support, but they're smaller in numbers. Um, but it, it definitely was a different world. And um, I, I did. Did you ever get the crud? I remember getting the crud out there in Oregon E. Um, I tell people all the time I got really, really sick. Did you ever get that little virus that was going around?
10: You know, I was actually one of the few people, I think there might have been only a couple people that didn't get sick, Yeah. and I managed to, to stay healthy the whole time I was there. I don't know how I did it, but uh, but yeah. yeah, no, I do remember everybody getting terribly sick, probably from the food and from, yeah. you know, all kinds of uh, unsanitary living
5: conditions. Yeah, I, I burned in. <laughs> Finally, the, the SF medic grabbed me, took me back because I was on the, you know, I had the night shift. And uh, so I'd run the talk at night, and they gave me three IV bags, and I still didn't pee. That's how dehydrated I ended up getting. Because I just remember sitting on those 55 um, gallon drum toilets we had, uh, staring at the beautiful landscape, and just having diarrhea that just wouldn't stop. I don't know what it was, but I, I had never been that sick. But I refused to take the Cipro just because, you know, anthrax was such a fear back there. And even though we were inoculated for it, you know, I, if you take it, it doesn't work the next time you really need it, right? So I was, like, <laughs> being really weird about it that I, I don't want to take that because what if I get anthrax? But um, so anything else you want to talk what about about the whole, the whole deployment or any other memories you want to bring up? I, mean, I know Lieutenant Reese has a memory <laughs> that he wanted to give you some grief on. So why don't we hear your side of it since he talked about it uh, to me offline? <laughs>
10: sure, sure. I'll touch. Yeah, uh, one of the things too I want to touch on real quick is that one of the things that I think was really unique about our experience in Afghanistan that really stands out, and probably a lot of people don't don't really understand, is we arrived there before any infrastructure was was present whatsoever. We really lived on the edge. Our sanitary conditions were you know, really touch and go. Obviously, you you touched on having to, you know, burn yeah. our own... Yeah.
5: Uh, Feces. <laughs> uh, ...waste
10: material, and, you know, but it wasn't just that. We didn't have clean clothes. We didn't have clean socks. We didn't have clean underwear. If your clothes got a hole in them, you just had to live with it. You tried to clean yourself as best you could, but we didn't have, you know, water to shave in or anything. So it's not surprising people got sick. You can yeah. see how over the course of history, disease is really impacts armies
2: because yeah. even with all of our modern technology we were barely you know
16: barely existing as people we were really living in the dirt every single day
10: yeah living, a, right. living a tough life you know
5: yeah we were i mean i um, i i've, a, I've enlightened uh, i think on the previous podcast i talked about it but you know we didn't get hot chow for like i want to say it was three months and it was tea rats but i mean it wasn't frequent you, you were eating bag nasty every day Oh, yeah. No, it was was MREs
10: uh, or, you know, whatever local food you could buy or scavenge up. And if you ate that, you took, you know, the extreme risk of getting yourself really sick. And a lot of guys were concerned, and I was too. To this day, I suspect that they poisoned a lot of the food that that people ate.
5: Yeah, Um, I bet they did. People got
10: so sick. I think there's, especially, you know, later on, looking back at it, it would have been so easy for those people to put rat poison or bug spray, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in the food they gave us. I think we were probably playing fast and loose eating yeah, eating as much local food as we did. Well,
5: um, fat, I, I'm fat as hell now because I'm, you know, retired, but I, I still tear up some naan. Uh, there's a place in Nashville that has a, uh, it's in, at the farmer's market, and they have a uh, Middle Eastern grocery store right there and somebody makes Afghan naan uh, and they sell it and we'll go buy it every once in a while because my wife likes it but I gotta admit I, I was the same way I was worried about eating it but I love me some naan I just love that stuff I oh, yeah, oh <laughs> uh,
10: yeah the, the, the fresh naan was definitely yeah. to die for
5: yeah I remember the garbage well, bag naan <laughs> oh yeah. yeah
10: one of the things that uh, at uh, or goon was uh, that was really cool was that we were in a really remote area, and, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of adult supervision. Uh, no, no, uh, no offense.
5: No uh, offense. Yeah, <laughs> I, I let you guys go. I did. I did as a platoon sergeant. Yeah. That was my job. So, but it was a good time just to relax.
10: No, it was a good time. So one of the things we got to do that was really one of the highlights of, of my experience was I was really into, into shooting guns and, you know, machine guns and all the different types of weapons we used as infantrymen. And there at uh, at Orgoon, we could basically just drive, you know, out behind the fire base a few hundred meters, grab whatever weapons we wanted to, and we had a, a unlimited supply of ammunition. Nobody raised an eyebrow back then. Yeah. And we would just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot until we basically couldn't shoot anymore. And, uh, I had brought my M4 carbine back there and, um... We had talked to the SF guys and told them we were going to go shooting and they said take, hey, take as much ammunition as you guys want to. So me and a few buddies, we popped into the ammo supply point and grabbed probably three or four thousand rounds of ammo, several pieces, and just uh, went up on the hill, you know, back behind the base and just started loading magazines and just shooting until we were completely bored. And I must have shot probably better than 1,500 rounds through my rifle in one sitting. Oh, wow. And um,
15: <laughs>
10: and eventually, toward the end, it, it started to malfunction. And uh, I brought the rifle back into the base and, you know, stripped it down and trying to, to get it to work again. But I had uh, messed up the headspace on the bolt by just, you know, shooting it to death, basically. It was an old rifle anyways. And so... Uh, you know, that's pretty irresponsible for an infantryman to destroy his own weapon, so I had to trade weapons with the lieutenant.
8: (laughs) And here I am,
10: a a corporal having to come uh, heart in hand to my lieutenant, telling him that I have managed to destroy my rifle, having a good time out behind the base. Can I borrow his? (laughs) uh, That is a true story, so I had to... uh, I had to give my broken rifle to the lieutenant because,
5: obviously, his job doesn't require him. As a, as a uh, rifle team leader, I have to
10: have a functioning rifle. Yeah, you so. do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, he, I had to eat, eat some humble pie, that's for sure.
5: Yeah, he said, He said, and this was offline, but he said, and then I cleaned it and it worked again. So, give him hell. So, that's why we brought it up on the podcast because he had to clean uh, yeah. your weapon. Yeah.
10: <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, to show what a what a sin that is, as an infantryman, I'm still getting razzed about it 15 years later. So, uh, so take care of your rifle. I guess that lessons. Uh, <laughs>
5: yes. Yes. Well. So
10: it,
5: once again, it was a pleasure having you on the show. It's a total honor, and it was an honor to serve with you. Uh, you were one of the uh, best team leaders I ever served with, and definitely your knowledge of weapons and the enemy came in very handy over there. And uh, our this little podcast with only a hundred listeners is humbled by you showing up. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show.
10: Well, uh, I, I appreciate it, Sergeant. I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I was a pleasure serving with you, and uh, I just I, I have really fond memories of our of our time together and the, the service we did for our country. And I'm I'm very proud of it, and it's just wonderful talking. To you.
5: Great. Thanks again. <laughs>